Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. We're live. Uh, Yeah, so as I was saying, I literally had to borrow a hand mixer from my landlord because I went to make cookies. I'm in the middle of making Christmas cookies, everyone, and I'm not a baker, and I'm making them for like a- Olivia's a forever hoe because she can't be a housewife. (laughs) Cannot turn this hoe into a housewife. Um, (laughs) It turns out you can't. But I'm going to like a Christmas cookie exchange thing. And so I was like, I'm going to make my own. Like I, I'm going to try. I'm going to put the effort in. I got a little like Christmas tree cookie cutter. And then so I got all the ingredients. Can I give you a tip? Yeah. When you put your cookie cutter in, give it like a teeny weeny wiggle at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like at, when you're at the bottom, it like moves the dough away from the cookie a little bit. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a hot tip. Yeah. But yeah. Long it story really short. Me. I had all the ingredients and then I was like, whoa, I don't have an electric mixer of any kind. So luckily my landlord have had one. I am so disappointed in you. We'll see how, how it goes. The dough is like chilling while we record. Also, happy one year to us. This is our one year anniversary episode. Yeah, guys. Happy one year to us. We hope you had a great holiday season whatever you did for you know christmas or that time and we're almost at a happy new year too yeah and we're recording like two days before christmas so i am squirrely to the max like i'm max squirrel today i just pictured you as like a godzilla sized squirrel (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i'm so excited we're covering this the same case we did for our first episode ever which is no longer live because it was that terrible but we're going to redo it and give the story some justice. And we did some more research and there's some extra things that have come out in terms of um, trials and appeals. And there's lots more to cover like since then. So, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Let us all have a moment of silence for my Christmas cookie dough. Let's hope that it works. Um. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate, though, that you're actually following the instructions and chilling it properly and doing it all. I I think they're going to work out just because you are following the recipe and baking is a science. So you just have to do it right. Yeah. So what I said to Brandon, because I got like a Pinterest recipe, I literally Googled easy Christmas cookies. (laughs) Uh, I said to Brandon, I was like, I may not be a baker, but I can follow instructions. That she can, people. Yeah. I can follow instructions, like, very well, and I'm pretty patient with it, but uh, I could never just, like, bake without a recipe and, like, very clear instructions. Yeah, I don't think I could bake without a recipe just because I'm not a baker, but I can look over the recipe once or twice and then just kind of go with it. Like, I'm not back to it constantly. Oh, yeah. No, I'm literally following it word for word. I opened that recipe like 18 times to make sugar cookie dough. It's like three ingredients. Yeah, I also just, when I have extra stuff left over, I'll just like sample stuff and try crazy things with it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a crazy year. I remember when we started, I was like, yeah, we'll give it a year to see how it goes. We'll see what happens. Now we are like... We're setting goals, people. We're setting goals for next year. Just shy of 20,000 downloads. We're setting goals. We have an episode map. 
So it's way more than I ever expected this was going to be. And it's all thanks to you. So thank you so much for being here. Very excited. Thank you, everybody. But yeah, Lacey Peterson. We're back. Where I feel like the saga never ends. Where it all began. And it's not going to end anytime soon. And unfortunately. I think I'm getting like a little bit of a cold too. So if my voice sounds funny, that's why. I feel a little like stuffed up and like. Oh no. Yeah, I don't think I've got the big vid or anything, but. You don't got Megatron? I... No, that's I don't good. think I'm so. Glad to hear I that. am double vaxxed, no booster yet, but I think I'm good. I think I just have like a bit of a cold. <laughs> I was going to say, even, I mean, you don't go anywhere anyways, so. Exactly. Where are you getting COVID from? <laughs> My dog. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just cold season. I know lots of people that are sick right now. Yeah. I actually had to work yesterday by myself, and it was crazy. Like, what I was doing was really busy in terms of me being all by myself. And it was a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you always on a roller coaster of emotions? <laughs> always, but yesterday more so than other days. Yes. Uh, well, the holidays don't help. No. But I think we are good to go. Honestly, like, I'm covered in flour. I have gifts to wrap. I have shit to do. But I'd so much Same. rather be right here recording this. Right. <laughs> talking about true crime with all of our friends than doing any of that. So here we go. Uh, duh. Yeah. Okay. Should we just do it? Yeah. Woo! Okay. I mean, I don't want to be insensitive and be excited, but... No, but I think it also shows how far we've come as well, that we get the opportunity to redo a case. Yeah. It's exciting. And we get to do it in a new way together, and that's exciting. It is. Not the case itself. No. Uh, so I actually kept my original notes from this case and worked from them because... There's a part of me that was also really proud of these notes, regardless of how terrible the case came out from me fumbling through it. So I think I just had a bit of attachment to these and I made a point of saving them from day one. So here we go. I have all of my notes because <laughs> I handwrite most of my notes and I have them all. Oh, yeah. I don't throw away of notebooks or day planners. I Side note before we start, I never thought that I would fill one notebook and I have filled like five. Oh, same. I just started this one, and I'm already a quarter of the way through it. It's crazy. Okay. And that was just doing the Chris Benoit notes. (laughs) Pretty much. That one was long, though, and awesome. But I don't think anyone will have heard that yet, so stay tuned for next week. (laughs) Getting to know the two people we will primarily be speaking about again today, we will be talking about Scott Peterson, who was born October 24th, 1972, at Sharp coronado hospital in san diego california he went on to be a fertilizer salesman which from day one that wasn't a red flag doesn't that just seem like a murderous person's job a fertilizer salesman fertilizer yeah it sounds like something a mobster does what do you do i sell fertilizer (laughs) i don't know it just sounds very mobbed up to me just like buy fertilizer at the store why do you need a salesman for it 
don't know. I work in the fertilizer business. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe like selling something I would have heard in the Sopranos. Well, maybe he sells fertilizer. Like he tries to get contracts like with with big companies. I don't know. Well, as we learn about Scott, he does love golf. So I think just maybe being a very, very avid golfer, I think that that may be something you pay attention to more. So maybe he was also just knowledgeable in it. So when he was forced to move on and get a real job, that's what he chose to do. Fair. His parents, Jackie and Lee, described him as their kind, sweet boy. And he had two other siblings, Anne and John. And as we just mentioned, he grew up wanting to be a pro golfer for a living. Yes. Lacey Denise Rocha, born May 4th, 1975. She was a Taurus. She was very headstrong, according to her parents, even though she was very small in stature. She was not small in personality (laughs) and frequently got her way. (laughs) She was born in Modesto, California and went on to be a substitute teacher. Her parents, Sharon and Dennis, were just, she was the light of their life, as well as her stepdad, Ron. They could not speak highly enough of Lacey. She also had siblings, Brent, Amy, and Nathan. And growing up, they all worked on the family farm. She thoroughly enjoyed gardening with her mom. And when her parents did split eventually, she still went to the farm every weekend and worked on the dairy farm. She genuinely just had a love for it. She was a cheerleader in high school, and she went on to obtain a degree in horticulture at California Polytechnic. Oh, so she really liked working at the farm then. Very much so. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting, too, that he worked with, like, fertilizer and just, like, grass and they're both kind of like the agriculture business yeah Mm. and she was very like farm and enriching the earth you know it just seems very fitting in a lot of ways one night in 1994 Lacey went out for drinks with her friend at the pacific cafe she actually worked there it was in morrow bay and this is where she met scott scott was a co-worker of a friend of theirs and they just hit it off right away it just kind of clicked on their first date Scott decided to take her deep sea fishing, (laughs) which he loves fishing. So great. Seems like an elaborate date. Lacey got uber seasick and ended up spending pretty much the whole trip with like her head in his lap. But he was really sweet and took care of her the whole time. So I guess the date was still a win in the end. (laughs) Deep sea fishing? No, thank you. Yeah. Sir. I love me some fishing. And I don't want to go deep sea fishing on a first date. No. That's way too uncomfortable. <laughs> Once Scott met Lacey, he decided that he would prefer to settle down, change his life path a little bit, and start a family. So that's where he decided to change his direction from being a pro golfer and took a solid job in fertilizer. The fertilizer sandwich. trade. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Got it. So we are going to fast forward a bit. Scott and Lacey, for all intents and purposes from everyone around them, had a pretty solid relationship. They were kind of the -the run-of-the-mill couple going through the motions of getting married, starting a family. They had a dog together. They bought a home. They were doing well for themselves. They were a successful young couple. Yeah. So we are in the year 2000. 
Lacey was planning to bring a gingerbread house and cookies as well as a breakfast casserole to Christmas morning that year. So we start out on Christmas Eve day where she is getting ready and we're going to go through the timeline. Is it 2000? I thought it was 2002. No, I said 2000s. Oh, in the 2000s. Okay. If I said 2000 funny with like no S, I meant to say 2000s. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. No, no but yes. It is important to note that at this point, Lacey is between seven and a half and eight months pregnant with the baby that they had already decided between the two of them to name Connor. And for all counts, they were both looking forward to inviting this new life into their life from what their friends were saying. Okay. Around 7, 7.30, Lacey woke up and started to plan the day ahead of her. She was quite meticulous and plan everything. Uh, According to husband Scott, she was going to walk the dog before going to the store to pick up the last few items needed to make the cookies, as well as start her casserole. Scott mentions later on that they are listening to Martha Stewart's baking show in the morning. There's background chatter about Scott's plans for the day. He's going to hit the golf course. But as they discuss further, he looks at the weather, looks outside, realizes the weather's not so great and has changed his mind and he is going to go fishing. Honestly, this confuses me, but it's, I don't know. Yeah, I just don't know if I would pick either of those activities. (laughs) Neither of those activities seem fitting if the weather's crummy. And I'm not saying, like, we've gone fishing when it's shitty weather. That's fine. But not on Christmas Eve when it's, like, already a tight schedule and a lot going on. Yeah, it was just strange to me that it's like, oh, it wasn't nice, nice enough to go golfing, so I went fishing. Like, what? What? How's that any different? Yeah, I don't really understand it either. And I, I I get that they're in California. Yeah. But I still think Christmas Day kind of crummy weather. And I, I think people, I mean, quote me if I'm wrong. I'm sure there's a select few out there like myself who love the rain. But I feel like when you live somewhere too that's also known to be quite warm and hot all year round, when you do have crummy days, you're really like, oh, fuck this. Yeah. I, like, don't think it's that serious of a point. I just thought it was strange that he was like, oh, it wasn't nice enough to go golfing, so I went fishing. It is weird. Like, that's... If I had been Lacey and that was actually the situation happening in front of me, I would have been like, A, it's Christmas Eve. You shouldn't be doing either of those. You should be at home with your family. And B... Why would you go fishing instead of golfing if you're saying the weather is bad? You're like, okay, so Brandon does, like, disc golf. Like the fr- yeah. frisbee. They don't call it frisbee golf. Oh, though. I know. Don't call it froth. It's disc golf. Um, froth. And, like, he goes in all weather. But if he was like, oh, it's not nice enough to go disc golfing, so, like, I'm going to go fishing with someone. I'd be like, what? That doesn't make uh, any sense. So you're going to sit out in the middle about? of the water with nothing covering Yeah, anyway, it might not be, like, a serious point. I just thought it was strange. No, I agree. I don't think that it made any sense. And I think that was honestly one of the first things that everybody clung on to when the story starts to come out about this shortly after. So, yeah, there's a lot to it. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, my notes even I have, it was raining, he went fishing, question mark, because he didn't want to play golf. Yeah. Oh, it's too crummy to play golf. Okay. Those are both outdoor so activities. Do inside. 
Or go to a covered driving range. That would be the next compromise, I think. Yeah. Anyway, we don't have to go stay to on that point for golfing. too long, but it's definitely odd. We're just picking apart the red flags here, people. This guy in his entirety is a walking red flag. At this point, it seems like Scott and Lacey separate for the day, go their separate ways. Scott had offered the day before Christmas Eve, when he was getting his haircut by Lacey's sister, to pick up a like gift basket for their grandfather the next day. So on Christmas Eve while he was out, because he said, oh, it's near the golf course I'm going to. Mm. So I'll pick it up. And they were like, okay, great. We find out later that he, it's kind of implied that he then asks Lacey to go get it. Like he didn't have time to do it, which is also another bit of a red flag, but that's okay. He can have as many red flags as he wants. We know the outcome. Yeah, didn't he call her? Because he went, he went fishing and then when he left, he says he left fishing and he called her to basically be like, I can't pick that up. Can you pick it up? And she didn't answer and he left a voicemail. Yeah. Yeah. Setting an alibi. We'll get there in a second, but yes. Yeah, okay. So Scott leaves the house. He's going to stop at his office. He goes to his office. It's about a nine minute drive. There he is... 10.30 a.m., according to the timestamp on his internet browser, because he does hop onto the internet to look up how to put together a quick little, like, tool or part that he has at his office. And at approximately 10.56, he leaves the shop. So that is a pretty good timeline of that item. And they do find that small tool, like, in his shop when they later investigate. Mm -hmm. So it does fit that timeline. Okay. Scott leaves his office, making the 90-minute drive to the marina. He unloads his boat at approximately 12.54. That puts him in the water until about 2-ish, 2.10. Multiple people saw him at the boat launch and at the marina, and by about 2.15, he had his boat loaded and was pulling out of the docks. This is where, what we just mentioned, the call comes in. Mm -hmm. Everything you've ever watched, this call is known. Starts out... Hey, beautiful, it's 2.15, and he goes on to talk about how he wasn't able to pick something up. So now his eight-month pregnant wife has to go out on Christmas Eve, which is also just a piss-off, because poor Scott took too long fishing, according to his story. For an hour. Yeah. Like, whether he was involved or not at this moment in, like, the news coming out... He just looks like a piece of shit. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, that was the other thing for me. Like, you drove 90 minutes to fish for 60 minutes. Yeah. And then drove 90 minutes back. He sure did. That just, in the rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. When Scott arrives home, Lacey's Land Rover SE is in the driveway, which doesn't seem all that odd at the time, thinking that her mom could have picked her up with all the other stuff she had to carry and take to her mom's. Could have happened. He moves on. He gets in the door. He takes off his clothes that he wore fishing, throws them in the machine, and hops in the shower right away. And we talked about this last time. A lot of people really jumped on the fact that he washed his clothes, but... He was fishing. I grew up fishing, so I don't think it's odd. Personally, especially if it had been raining as well, I don't think it's odd. So I personally didn't put that as a red flag in my list of... No. Um, 
It's not even a red flag, but I have noted from the 2020 documentary that I just, like, had a giggle about the fact that they said that he drank milk and ate pizza in the shower. A, those don't go together very well. I, B, don't drink milk when I'm warm, and I assume you're having a hot shower having been out in the rain. So I'm... You're also going to Christmas dinner, so that's rude. I'm a person that doesn't drink milk at all, so I think, like, to me, the concept of drinking milk is really, really weird. But yeah, I just was like, drinks milk and eats pizza, and like, specific note that he was in a hurry, so he ate pizza in the shower. Yep. Okay. I just picture the pizza getting soggy. Yeah, you better have, like, held it out the... Out the shower or something. Don't want to ruin a perfectly good slice of pizza. Mind you, I'm just thinking about how fast you and I can eat when we're in a hurry. And I probably could have eaten that pizza before I even hit the bathroom door if I started right at the kitchen. True. Anyway, it's just like a weird detail that yeah, I, I haven't noted people down. People don't eat in the shower. It's strange. It's weird if you choke in the shower and someone has to find you there. And like, what were you in a hurry she for? She was because... naked in the shower yeah. with a piece of pizza. And like, what were you in such a hurry for? Well, he had to go to like Christmas oh, Eve the night at her parents' okay. house. Yeah, they were having the get together. And they were doing like a little get together there and sleeping over. That's why she was taking the casserole yeah. as well. Yeah, and, like, honestly, eating before going isn't weird. Like, it's not a red flag to me because, like, Brandon would do that. No, I just think it's rude. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's just, if he didn't eat all day because he was too busy driving. Sure. Or doing other things. Yeah, and he has it. When Scott gets home and out of the shower and done having his soggy snacks. Pizza and milk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his uh, shower charcuterie there. He um, goes to the sliding glass door at the back of the house and finds that their dog, Mackenzie, is in the backyard with her leash attached. And Lacey had said that she was going to be walking the dog probably at approximately like 1030 that morning. So by now we're like almost dinner time and the dog's in the backyard with her leash on. Yeah. For no explained reason. Lacey's nowhere to be found because by this point he's walked around the house. He doesn't see her anywhere. He thinks at this point, he just like assumes that she's at her mom's and her mom picked her up, right? Like when he gets home, he's like, the Land Rover's home. She's obviously not home. Her mom probably just picked her up because they're baking together. But then... Yeah, he's just like lounging around, getting ready casually. Yeah. At this point, it's like, oh, she didn't answer. She's probably busy. Nothing's awry. So yeah, I totally agree though. Scott is... Wandering around the house thinking Lacey's just already at her mom's with the casserole and the baking and he just has to get his own ass over there at some point before dinner. Yeah. Easy peasy. But then... (laughs) Scott, at the corner of his little squingy eye, sees that the answering machine is flashing because there's a few messages there. When he hits play on the messages, he sees that not only is there a message from her stepdad asking her... (laughs) When she's going to come over. But there's also still the message from Scott that says, Hey, beautiful, it's 2.15 and blah, blah, blah. I'm a lazy piece of shit that went golfing. Just kidding. I went fishing. Just kidding. I did nothing productive with Christmas Eve. He now starts to get a little worried thinking, Okay, she hasn't gotten these messages. She's not with her car. The dog has her leash on. Now there's some weird things kind of happening. Well, doesn't he? And her. Doesn't he call? them because he there's yeah, a message he calls, from his stepdad so like he's like oh she's probably there 
Yeah, so when she gets, when he gets the message from the stepdad, he's like, okay, well, if she's not there, then where is she? And her car's home. Mm-hmm. So he has no idea where she is at this point. And so he calls the mom's house, says, hey, is Lacey there? Was she with you? Did you pick her up? Yada, yada. What happened? And no, she's not there. So now everybody starts to panic. And just to remind you, Scott got home at 445 and it's now 517 when she called, when he called the parents. So it's been half an hour that he's been home. Mm -hmm. The parents let him know that she's not there and Scott reciprocates the same information and says, well, she's not here either. The dog's here. I hope she didn't fall. Could she have miscarried somewhere while she was walking and the dog came home out of just routine and habit knowing where the house is? And by 547, Sharon and Ron asked Scott to reach out to some of their friends, asking if any of them have heard from her, seeing if maybe any of them had picked her up and they had gone to the store together. Mm. They then call local authorities, knowing that no one's heard from her. There's been no sighting. And when cops arrive, they do a quick walkthrough of the house, but nothing seems too out of place. No sign of a struggle. However, there is a mop and bucket sitting in the kitchen and a heavy smell of bleach. Mm. Now, when... Scott and Lacey were talking that morning. Lacey was mopping while they were having a conversation about the day. So Scott mentions that it doesn't seem all that odd, but police officers notice that Scott is acting a little odd, but in a weird way. Like he's too calm. Yeah. He's like, he's not worried enough. Yeah. He's not upset enough. He's kind of making excuses for all the things the police are seeing or doing or making up. At this point, to be a theory, even, they're just, he's discrediting them right away. Her mom said when he called to ask if she was there and they said no, his first response was, she's missing. Yeah. And, like, hadn't Not- called any of her friends yet, hadn't really looked hard because he had been busy eating pizza in the shower. Like, she's missing is a pretty strong statement. Yeah. To make when And I'm you... pretty sure he had, like, when they showed up, they had, like, the TV on or something with sports on. Like, it wasn't like he was in just, like, a panic. And you know that moment, like, when you think you've... I think when you've lost your dog by mistake. You, like, turn off the TV, you make it quiet, and you're like, where are you? Like... It's very Chris Watts. Yes. It's very Chris Watts. Yeah. Except for he's a little bit more calm and cool than Chris Watts. <laughs> Chris Watts is a very oh, cool. God, that, that body cam footage from the documentary <laughs> it's on that. so Netflix, bad. I was like, God, why did they not just arrest him right then and there? <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing about it, but like, Chris Watts, you're a friggin' idiot. Anyway. No, and we're not laughing at the victim. No. It's just, if you really think you're going to be good enough to get away with something like this, and I say good enough in the sense that you, your ego is so fucking big and you're such a piece of shit. Yeah. It's just probably not going to happen for you. Sorry. Well, and then, like, what about the whole thing when the investigators take him to the shop, like, where the boat is? Because they want to, they're like, oh, you went fishing. I want to search your boat. Or, like, I want to look at it. And, like, let us see. Because we would see, like, wear on it. Yeah. Like, we would be able to tell if you used it in the last little while. And, of course, it's nighttime because it's the night that she went missing. It's Christmas Eve. And he says that the shop doesn't have any power. So he can't turn yeah, the lights like, on. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, it's dark. You can't see it. Yeah, and so the investigator, like, I... pulls in, like, some lights that they have, big, like, and kind of one-overs it. Yeah, and they pull it. their vehicles up, and they kind of, like, get it maneuvered so they can light up the, 
yeah. fucking lot, essentially. So they light it up and they take yeah. photos. And then the investigator calls the power company later to ask when the power was out in that area. Power was never out. Nope. So, I don't know. Yeah, because they ended up taking him in for questioning at, like, 12 a.m. Yeah. On mid, or on Christmas Eve night and held him for a couple hours of questioning. And that's, yeah, they went and did a bunch of walking around with him, looking at different things, the walkthrough of the house, down at the station. Mm -hmm. And the whole time they were just uncomfortable with his whole demeanor. Yeah. Because, like, your pregnant wife is missing. And, like, we don't know how we would behave in a situation I like that and we christmas though too yeah like, and like we feel weird when somebody doesn't like behave the way that they should behave but at the same time you think there true. would be a little bit more urgency yeah there's no right way to panic no. or grieve we've said this before however i think history has shown us pretty heavily that there are certain things that can be expected of someone who is telling the truth yeah. in a truly traumatic experience yeah. And calmness, once I, if he had been truly excited about this pregnancy as well, regardless of how he felt towards Lacey and their marriage, if he was truly excited for that baby as well, he would have been concerned. Well, his mom said that they tried to get pregnant for like three years. So you'd think he would be yeah. excited. Yeah, they struggled to get pregnant pretty much from right when they got married. Mm-hmm. That... They just, like, weren't able to get pregnant. And then suddenly they did with Connor. And it, you would expect it to be this huge, excited, like, we've waited forever for you, like, miracle thing. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so he's questioned at, like, midnight. They take him in after doing all that. They actually holded him for... Holded him? They held him for, like, him seven for hours. hours. Yeah. He said he boated a couple miles, found an island. He says fishing was a morning decision. It was too cold to golf at the club. We know that. They ask him if he has an, if they have any marriage problems, and he says, nope. That's all he says. He's just like, nope, and kind of like shakes his yeah, head. No. Um, yeah, I mean, you can watch the footage. He just doesn't really look like somebody whose wife like is missing. It's very uncomfortable to watch. It's, uh, I always find that footage, though, very interesting to go back and watch mm-hmm. once we actually know what happens and if they're guilty. And now watching it, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, but, oh, this one was... Ugh. Yeah, and then I remember and, we had talked about in an original episode that the boat was kind of like a recent purchase. Like, he hadn't always had the yeah, boat. Yeah, and, yeah, and a lot of people didn't even know that he owned the boat, like, Lacey's mom I don't think no knew about the boat like she mentioned something about it and she so she asked him yes really Lacey knew much about the boat to be honest her mom asks him when he bought the boat when did you buy that boat because she didn't know that he had a boat and his response was it was a surprise for Ron she said she never got a timeline or a straight answer out of when he bought it. He wouldn't say when. He just kept saying it was a surprise for Ron. Which is so her why stepdad, I believe. Using it? Yeah, Ron mm-hmm. is her stepdad. Mm-hmm. But then why were you out using it? Super weird. Potentially the day before you give it as a gift to someone if it's a Christmas present. Mm-hmm. Why else would you have it at that time of year? 
Anyway, let's get back to this because we will bring back a lot of these points later yeah. um, in this. But Christmas Day, Scott is asked to take a polygraph. And at the urging of his lawyers, he does decline, which I we all agree that we likely would as well. Yeah. They're inadmissible in court. They create a pigeonhole situation. And they're frequently not interpreted by people who actually view the results the same way, which is part of it. They're very unbiased in a lot or very biased in a lot of ways yeah my opinion on polygraphs hasn't changed since last year i still don't fault anyone for not taking them (laughs) not at all no so once media caught wind of a young couple pregnant wife and all-around american family has been torn apart by the wife going missing at christmas there is media on scott's lawn 24 7 up his ass he just can't get away. Yeah. People are everywhere. During this process of the media out front, multiple witnesses are also coming forward to the police stating that they saw Lacey and Mackenzie out walking on the 24th. And it was approximately 20 people that came forward and said that they saw her between 1030 and 1130 walking in the neighborhood. They knew it was her. Blah, blah, blah. We will come to find out that many of those were inaccurate. Yeah, there just happened to be another pregnant girl with dark hair walking with a golden retriever in the same neighborhood. (laughs) Yeah, I... On the 26th, a formal search of the home was requested and denied. Uh, Police only asked to gauge his response for the search to see what he would advise upon entry. He declined. They pull the search warrant out, slap it down, and go... Too bad, so sad. We're coming in anyway. He said, you don't expect me to sign that, do you? Because they pulled out a piece of paper that basically you have to sign to allow the police to search your home without a warrant. And his response was, you don't expect me to sign that, do you? And like Katie said, they were just doing it to see what he would say. So they whipped out a search warrant. We're like, okay, we have a warrant. We just wanted to see what your response was. But on the 26th, they, they do a press release. Mm-hmm. And they release Scott's alibi that he was fishing in the Bay Area. It's just an interesting choice to release that yeah, so soon. We very rarely ever hear of alibis actually being put out. We hear bits and pieces of it or supporting statements, I would say. Mm-hmm. But rarely do we hear an alibi get brought out yeah. altogether. And I think they were really just hoping, though, that someone would be like, that's not what he did that day. Right. But I think, like... So that's kind of what they are hoping for. On the flip side, you could argue that somebody could then, if somebody else was involved, flip it over and dump the body there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just gives other people an opportunity to have, like, more insight into the situation than they should or, like, know more than they should about what the police know. I don't know. It's just another yeah. perspective. No, they totally point out the exact bay that he was fishing in yeah. when they go through his timeline. So they do provide an opportunity for someone. Um, and I think we mentioned it later just based on another theory there was. But yeah, that's part of it is that they can provide a window of time for someone to go and essentially recreate this crime mm-hmm. if it was by happenstance, not Scott that did it. Yeah. Yeah, they talked about how he went fishing and where, and Scott walked out during the press release. He got up and left. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily... 
Well, no, because you know what? I'm sitting there thinking, like, if the roles were reversed and that was me and my spouse was missing and they were just telling my alibi and I wasn't lying, I would be like, sure, yeah. tell them where I was. If it might help, yeah. I don't care. So, yeah, it is suspicious. Yeah. And nothing in the house, like, this, where they had the search warrant, nothing ever turned up odd, to be honest. Like they said, they found, like, one hair in a pair of pliers. Yeah. And they were rusted, so it couldn't have even matched the timeline. They do point out, though, that there was the sacks of concrete and poured out excess mixed concrete on the property mm-hmm. as well, though. And Scott had said that he was using it to make boat anchors. Right. Which... Which is legitimate. I mean... It is. It is. It's a little odd, but yeah, it's legit as well. You have a boat. Yeah. Whatever. Um, the other thing I have written down that he said after they pulled the search warrant, he so the investigator's name was Al, but like you wouldn't call a police by his first name. He goes, Al, where's the trust? Where's the trust, mm-hmm. Al? Like, your wife is missing. He pretty much looks at the cops and goes, what, you don't believe me? Like, that's, ah, I don't know. Um, they basically said that from their perspective, he like played the really helpful cooperative guy, but wasn't actually that forthcoming. Like, he no, just... and he was actually a huge obstacle through the process. Yeah. He was. He stalled things. He delayed things. He, he tried would like... to think that he was better than or knew more than authorities or he just thought he was so fucking smart. Yeah, and he, like, I didn't actually know this until I was doing a little bit more research for this episode, but he, like, only would allow photos of her to be released to the media, and, like, okay, maybe protecting himself because, like, it was... But do you hear why he said it? Yeah, yeah, it's such a bullshit He's answer. like, I just wanted the focus to be on her and yeah. blah, 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 and all that, and it's like, fuck you. But you would, like, deliberately take down photos of you. Mm-hmm. Which, like, some could and argue... And you would ask people in the, like, search parties and people that were putting together all these photos for other people to view to try to help find her. He was literally asking for photos that were already up with him in them to be taken off the yeah. walls in, like, meeting rooms and conferences and press releases. Yeah, and, and the other thing he said was um, the reason why was because media coverage, like get so lost or like media is all over a story for two days and then they forget about it so he thought if he kept quiet and deliberately didn't make a statement and kept his photos to himself that the media would like keep coming after him which would keep Lacey's story in the media yeah okay as we were saying before though like there is and it is kind of important to note that there was a 24-hour news broadcast going on of this case so like you said, we were learning all these bits and pieces, and we were kind of getting to see firsthand how Scott was reacting, what he was doing, and kind of all having the same thoughts in our own head. Like, this guy just looks odd. Yeah. Something is off. Dean Kane looking guy. B-roll <laughs> <laughs> so Dean Kane. Yes. In a Lacey Peterson special that I watched, Scott's parents were asked if he wanted to be a dad or if he wanted a baby at all because they both claimed that Scott wanted to be a dad and they tried to conceive for three years, but then when Lacey got pregnant, he wouldn't touch her stomach and he completely changed. Yeah. There was no excitement about the pregnancy anymore. 
his mindset towards it just seemed to have shifted, which didn't make sense to anyone and also to Lacey. She was really confused why after three years, he wasn't excited for this pregnancy. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I mean, again, you could say maybe it became real, whatever. Some people behave differently to different situations. But yeah, it would be like, it'd be disappointing for her if he wasn't even like excited throughout this period that's supposed to be so happy. Yeah, it just did not turn out to be the fairy tale that Lacey was hoping for for her new family. Yeah. Now that Lacey is missing and Scott is the sad husband, but not sad enough that he needs to be up in front of the cameras doing diddly squat for her, and the family is devastated, this is the first time that they start to really waver their trust in Scott. Up until specifically Boxing Day, they believed him wholeheartedly. And as of Boxing Day, their mindset started to change based on his behavior. And that is also because we start to find out about outside sources this week. Yeah. Here in the story is where we get to meet Miss Amber Fry. She was set up with Scott by a work colleague. She said he was nice, attractive, and a single man who was a widow and had recently lost his wife. Already lost. Yeah, and they met in, like, November. And this was nine weeks earlier. Yeah. Nine weeks, people, and we are now at the week between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. It is also stated again that on December 9th, he quoted again that he was a widower. So he had not only said it once, but in front of Amber had mentioned it multiple times, and she stated this to authorities. She was very much alive and well and pregnant and walking this earth. Yeah, he was like, I, like I, it's going to be so... saying he was already a... Yeah, like, it's going to be so hard to spend my first Christmas alone without her. She's alive. I know. Pregnant with your child. She is alive. A hundred percent. So on December 30th, when Amber learns that Scott and Lacey are now the topic of the biggest news headline nationally, she reaches out to the cops and says, okay, I know this guy. Something is up. He said he was single. We've been dating for this long. How can I help, essentially? Yeah. She does actually do the right thing and step in. I don't know if she was living under a rock up until now and just maybe didn't want to believe that this man had another life. But right. he had a home with a wife and a child and a job and a dog. And I, I'm shocked that people... We've said this before. Who can live a double life? It's too much. Yeah. Yeah, they met. So they met November 20th. Yeah, and he, on that day, stated that he was a widower, and then early December, when their relationship was starting to get more serious, he, that is when he started to reiterate that he was a widower, and that his holidays were going to be sad and quiet, and he was thinking about just taking off and running away for the holidays, which he does state that he does, and we will get to in a moment, but authorities help Amber get set up with equipment from Radio Shack so that all communications between Scott and her can be recorded. This is my favorite part. Scott was still <laughs> none the fucking wiser to this happening, and that Amber is essentially, like, totally red-rovered over to the police side and joined their team. He, in these recordings, claims again that he lost his wife, he's going to be devastated, and that he's going to be taking off to Europe for the holidays to avoid regular life and the reality of his first holiday as a widow. 
without his beloved wife, it's going to be too tough to be home. Yeah. December 31st, this, 2002. This irks me. Amber reaches out to Scott. And guess where Scott says he is? Dun, dun, dun. He has such bad reception because he is in Paris for the new year. He literally, the, the recording's like, I'm near the Eiffel Tower and, uh, for a New Year's celebration. It's unreal. Um, he's, he's at a candle. standing behind a tree. He's at, at a candlelight a vigil. vigil for Lacey. Exactly. Yes. He's like he off in the corner. for a moment and gets this call and literally separates himself and then tries to avoid her family the entire time. Mm-hmm. They just happened to like be near him in a photo. And it's a, just after that photo, he went behind a tree and took the call from her and was kind of like, Essentially, like, candy wrapper, and I'm going through a tunnel. Like, I can't hear you very well. It's... Like, bad look, especially considering it was recorded and you were literally at a vigil for your missing wife and child. Telling your mistress that you can see the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Bad look. And then two seconds later, he goes over and he's standing near his niece, and there's this one photo from the vigil that is rotated around where he is it looks like such a sweet moment right little did people know he just got off the phone with essentially his mistress yep and i feel bad kind of calling her that because in the end amber was actually helpful in the situation but it wasn't her fault she had no idea but to him it was his mistress i mean they were meeting up and sleeping together at hotels yeah they were full-fledged sneaking around yeah so he was sneaking off to make the pretend phone call from Paris. We have audio clips of this. You can see it in any documentary you listen to. Mm-hmm. And this is just also moments before everybody steps on stage to plea for her return. Yep. So he's literally like, I'm in Europe. Love you. Bye. Can't wait to bang you in the hotel room next time. Click. Oh, where's my wife? He's just a shit bag. Yeah. It's a fucking shit bag. I will point out, too, that there is a ton of outlandish theories about Scott being, like, a serial killer, as well as, like, a bunch of other crazy random things. There was also, like, about Scott. crazy theories <laughs> that, like, her abduction was part of a satanic cult, and, like, that was all disproven. Yeah. Yes, that was also one of the rumors that... There was a satanic cult that it was part of a kidnap or sorry, a kidnapping go wrong, a cult ritual, or a robbery gone wrong as well, I believe, were all of them and all were disproven quite quickly. Hi friends. If you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live QA sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today. Hi, everyone. This is Elise from True Crime Cat Lawyer. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Winston the Cat. 
Every other Thursday, Winston and I bring you a new story about a murder, disappearance, or serial killer with a special focus on cases from our hometown, the Pacific Northwest. This includes Idaho, Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia. For more information, you can find us on Twitter at True Crime Cat Law or on Instagram at True Crime Cat Lawyer. And feel free to send us an email at truecrimecatlawyer at gmail.com. We hope you'll give us a listen. Um, January 6, 2003, a friend of theirs, rumors to be the person that set them up at work, but I couldn't confirm that it was. I would assume they probably want to stay hush hush. Mm-hmm told Scott that he had three days to tell Amber the truth or they were going to do it themselves. Again, this all was alleged, but it would make sense that he came clean at this point or that it started to come out more and more. Well, because, like, she had flat out asked him when they first met if he, Mm -hmm. like, had ever been married, and didn't he say no? He didn't even admit to Lacey being his wife. He said that... Oh, he did say he was widowed. I think he said no. Okay. I think he said no, but then later on he did admit yeah. to her that they were married, but he was like, I just didn't tell you because I'm a widower and it's too hard yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that was kind of one of those things that was a bit back and forth, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seems odd. And I think it would be weird that if someone was to set Scott up, how did they not know he was single either? Like, that would be a hard double life to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, so not anyway, impossible, though, Scott, as we know. Nope, and Scott is now being blackmailed to come forward. Yeah. So, January 14, 2003, local authorities receive a call that they never expected. It was the National Enquirer essentially giving them a courtesy heads up that they were going to start running the story that the husband was pawn scum. Like, <laughs> they were... Like, <laughs> <laughs> heads up, you're trash. Like, so... So this Scott guy you're looking into, we're pretty much going to say it was him. He did it, and he's the most disgusting human being, FYI. <laughs> As they do. Lacey's, yeah, and Lacey's family was also, um, like, not really kept in the loop fully right. because Scott was next of kin. So I think that her family kind of got told stuff last minute and all this information was coming out, so it was, like, extra hard on them as well. Um they did not need to hear that there was an upcoming article essentially saying that Scott was also having this affair. There's another woman. He wasn't there for Lacey. Because I'm sure she had given another story to her family about how happy they were in Connor coming, even though her mom knew bits and pieces about the unhappiness. Right. You never let your family fully in. We no. know that. Yeah. In the most cases. So before reading it on the front of the paper or magazine, police did call her parents at this point, though, and say, we are going to put Scott's name out. This article is going to put Scott's name out. Things are about to get really crazy. And they did make the choice at this point to also put Amber in front of the camera for a detailed press release so she could explain the timeline and what was happening. Because media was really focusing on this picture-perfect couple and my wife is missing. And they were really on Scott's side for a bit. And we needed to flip that narrative. Because this guy was pawn scum, Correct. as we just said. Yeah. I mean, yeah. let's just get the truth out there. We're, like, at this point, yeah. like, nobody's... Yeah. No. So following the press conference, Scott reaches out to Amber and lets her know that he was proud of her and she was so strong for what she did and the work <laughs> she was doing. And he totally understands why she needed to do that. And still, Scott had no idea, like, what was coming his way yeah. and who was all working against him. Did he even realize he was 
like being recorded still at this point? No. No, okay. No. He was literally none the wiser still. He was just like calling her up being like, oh, baby, I get why you needed to just like get your story out there and protect yourself from the media. I'm so proud of you. You did great. And then there's kind of like this lull in silence in the case from January to March. There's not much happening during this time. Scott is doing his own little media circuit, being like, woe is me. Yeah. Help me find my wife. I'm so scared. I'm so sad. And it's just not going to work, buddy. You cannot fix your image. You've been called out at this point. Yeah. All the attention's on him, and that prevented them from looking anywhere else, he was saying. So they were saying he was... Do- they were doing a disservice by focusing on him at this point. And... In an interview with Diane Sawyer, he actually does slip up from current to past tense when talking about Lacey, and this was really the kicker, I think, that set a lot of people off. He is talking about her, and he said, Lacey was. Mm. And in that moment, he just lost all credibility, I think, to the public, because they were still believing that, well, look it, he's never changing his story. He's so adamant. And in that moment, they were like, oh, he knows she's gone. He believes leaves it at least hi and i don't know that one's not really like nail in the coffin for me because i feel like i bounce between tenses all the time yeah and i mean your wife's been gone for a certain amount of time maybe i don't know i just don't yeah it's definitely something to take note of i just don't think again i don't think you know how you're gonna react or speak or think in that moment if it really does happen to you and you can't assume how people are going to behave at this point and and i'm not defending scott in any way but i'm just thinking of how my brain would process like a timeline here too if i had someone close to me go missing on christmas and it's now mid-january maybe february yeah i would not be surprised if i was using past tense in some way as well just because it's been so much time it might not seem familiar that that person's been there doing that thing and you can relate yeah she's not here so yeah presently here's where we have some trigger warnings everybody march 13th of 2003 a couple is walking their dog along a swampy area and they come across the remains of a fetus This was the same bay where Scott had gone fishing on Christmas Eve. He was found with lacerations on his body, a nylon cord wrapped twice around his neck, and the umbilical cord and placenta were no longer with the body. The next day, one mile further away, another passerby came across partial remains of a female torso wearing a maternity bra, and no other body parts have been recovered. A few days later, a positive ID was made through DNA, And the bay had already been searched, just to make note. Yeah. So this was a new discovery. It had been searched thoroughly uh, for multiple days by, I believe, like a 60-man or 30 to 60-man team of search and rescue as well. And it was air support, water support. They had everything out there. They also searched, like, all the freshwater reservoirs surrounding that area. It was, like, eight days after she went missing, and it was extensive. Yeah, I will say I don't think that the police didn't look well enough. I get that remains were found, but I think that that's a really difficult area to search and it's moving water. As well as they searched, like we said, the home, his truck, his shop, his toolbox, the shed, the warehouse, and the boat. Yeah. So 
with no other physical evidence along from those, it was hard for them to justify, I think, further searching in that area, yeah. too, without a tip or some confirmation that it was working. Yeah, we talked about it in, like, the Shannon White missing person case that, like, at a certain point, it trying to search something confirming you're on the right track yeah well and like further search there's a higher risk that somebody's gonna get injured than there is a finding anything and so you call it off yep side note here the pathologist that worked on Lacey and connor's case was named brian peterson but no relation (laughs) okay good to know stated yeah brian peterson uh while performing the autopsy, found that there were no internal organs left in the woman's body. Whoa. Except for the cervix. Okay. Now, they say that this would have likely happened just because she had been dismembered prior to going into the water. Right. So just like water movement? Yeah, would have naturally just kind of just yeah separated Mm -hmm. all of the loose body material yeah so that is why yeah but they do believe at this point although he can't confirm for sure that the fetus did die in utero okay april 18th so it's the good friday holiday weekend of 2003 scott heads for the border via san diego which is his hometown familiar turf when police head over they find him in his car with four cell phones camping gear hiking boots, 12 Viagra, a photo of him and Lacey, a shovel, and his brother's ID. You'd think this is where they're going to be like, okay, we got him. He just looks so guilty. I stand by my original statement in the first episode. Four cell phones in 2002 or three. Nope. That's the only people who needed more than one phone were drug dealers. It's outrageous. I think we would have caught on to Scott being a drug dealer by now. <laughs> yeah, that's just overkill. Yeah. His mother did confirm that she had given him a large sum of money the day before that he had actually loaned her. She was paying him back. And that would explain why he had a large sum of cash on him at the same time when he was found. And being that the Friday was a stat holiday, no banks were open. And he was essentially kind of... That one wasn't such a big red flag in the grand scheme of things. The money wasn't the issue. Um, he was taken into custody at the Torrey Pines Golf Course, which is where he essentially turned in and was pulled over for the car- vehicle to be searched. Once mugshots were released of Scott, it came out that he now had blonde hair and the media jumped on this, that he was running and hiding. Yeah. However, Scott had actually had multiple meetings with police since his hair had been bleached. It was really just to take the attention off of him media-wise. Yeah. It wasn't to hide from police, just to put the record straight, because it that's just something that wasn't a red flag. He wasn't doing anything shifty there. He was just trying to get some privacy, which he also didn't deserve. Mm-hmm. The truck that Scott was driving up until... The time of the incident here where he's trying to flee, essentially, even though he says he's just out driving around. Okay. <laughs> he traded it in towards a red sports car. So, like, a little two-seater kind of yeah. car. Yet, he did make the transaction in his mother's name. Right. So, he got rid of the truck in his name, took out a vehicle in his mother's name, which it's hard to believe that someone's not running when a vehicle is put in their, a different name. 
But still, zero physical evidence makes this still very hard for police to say 100% you did it because everything he's doing up to this point could have an explanation. Well, and like again, in a weird way. It was like very, again, Chris Watts before Chris Watts. Like he put the home up for sale or like looked into selling the house. He's trading his vehicle mm-hmm. in for a red sports car. His sister said he was like straight up living like a bachelor, like he was hitting on their babysitter. Yeah, yeah. he was just like grubby and kind of letting go of himself and just being like skeezy and gross. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think in that moment though, he realized he lost everything and it probably wasn't going to work out well for him. So he's like, fuck it. Yeah. And even like his lawyer in court was. Kind of had the attitude of, like, the guy's a dick, but I don't know if he killed her. Right. Because at this point, with no evidence, it's like, he's a shit husband. He looks like an ass. (laughs) Yeah. He's a shit son-in-law. Yeah. But with zero physical evidence, it's still very hard. Mm -hmm. Due to overwhelming media coverage in Redwood, California, they couldn't have the case there, so they essentially wanted to move it. They did. Not that far, though, so it was really difficult, especially being that it was a nationally known case. Wherever they put this trial, it was still going to hit home to someone somewhere. They couldn't avoid that. So jury selection was a hot mess, to say the least. Yep. Instead of asking for typical questions to gauge a person's moral all-around sanity to be able to get rationally deciding jury members, um, they were asked how much they knew about this case and who they think did it. They were asked very blunt questions about it because it was going to be a death penalty case at this point. Lethal injection was the sentence they were going for, and they needed a very specific jury type for what they were about to look into. Unlike others, they also did not sequester these jurors away. They were able to go home to their families, overhear all the news, walk past newsstands, everything, discuss it, get outside opinions, you are supposed to be a neutral ter- property here. Like, you, you're you not supposed to be deep diving into this from outside sources no. who might be biased to one side of the case or the other. Yeah. Nor should you be getting, you know, your neighbor Susan's opinion and your husband yammering on at the end of the table. And that's not supposed to be things that are in your head. Ugh. Jury selection was Jurors a mess. Also- I'll give them that. And jurors had to be replaced because they genuinely felt like their lives were threatened being on that jury. Yeah. What the fuck? Well, and they dismissed, and we'll see that a little bit when I go into trials later, but they dismissed a lot of jurors that shouldn't have been dismissed. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, there was... There was both ends of the spectrum with the jury selection here. Yeah. Like, issues with the selection process and issue with the jurors themselves. And the thing is, if and you don't... And it became kind of a perfect storm. If you don't take jury selection seriously, you're hugely opening up opportunities for appeals. Like, that's yeah. the first place that a defense team is going to go, is look at, was the jury selected fairly? So, like, the fact that it was so messy is, like, you're just opening up so many holes in your own case. Well, and they got to go home. Like, that's yeah. the biggest one to me. It's like, you can't guarantee what information anyone or who anyone talked to. Yeah. Hell, somebody who's involved in the crime could walk up to them and be like, oh, I'm so-and-so with a different name and just chit-chat with them for an hour at a coffee shop and yeah. change their opinion. You just don't know. Yeah. So defense attorney Mark Garagos, a very high-profile attorney. Most of us have heard of him. He referred to that bad bitch Martha Stewart on TV 
and actually brought the episode into the court and was like, nope, this is what was playing. Because oh people gosh. tried to say that Scott using Martha Stewart in his timeline was kind of like hubbub. <laughs> but at the time, this was like the equivalent to them like rolling the TV in with a substitute teacher. They like pulled in the TV and were like, look what we're going to show That's you. That's hilarious. Yeah. And it turns out that Scott was telling the truth. There was a legit, he could tell what recipe it was, what Martha was up to that day, what she was chatting about. And interestingly, although it was not made public anywhere, there was activity on the computer after Scott had supposedly left the house and a digital expert in forensics told the court that Lacey was actually looking up a sunflower umbrella and a red scarf or supposedly Lacey. Mm -hmm. And this would disprove some of the prosecution's timeline because they were stating that when Scott left the house, he took Lacey with him on that initial leaving the property, which... Still doesn't really make sense to me in a little bit of the timeline there, but there's only so few people that will ever know those details, yep. and I don't think we're going to be them, which nope. sucks. But I think that, I mean, you can change a timestamp on a computer, you can do certain things to manipulate data, so I don't know what he did there, maybe. I mean, but there's I also always the annoyed. possibility that he killed her the night before and just did all that stuff himself. Yeah, I mean, he could have Nobody actually spoke to Lacey on Christmas Eve. The night before. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason why he couldn't turn Martha Stewart on, look up a bunch of random shit on the computer, create himself an alibi. Like, there's a million scenarios. People saw him leave the house before the timestamp on the computer. Oh, I see. Like, neighbors saw him pull out the driveway in his truck and leave around the time he said. Like, that all kind of clocked properly. Yeah. So that's where I'm confused. Like, did he manipulate the timestamp on the computer? I don't know. I still have a lot of questions, but I hope one day that there's some crazy deathbed confession on this shitbag's part and we get the answers. Because there's so many different stories from prosecution and defense, and I just want to know where the happy medium is and what really happened. Because I think... Everyone was into this case in a morbid way. We could all relate to it in some way. Yeah. And it just, we all want to know. Yeah. As mentioned earlier in court, we did say that this was either a kidnapping gone wrong, a cult ritual, or somebody trying to steal Lacey's baby. When the defense was reading a transcript of Scott and Amber on the phone, they thought that it would be pretty easy to explain and defend, and it was. Until they heard the recorded version of them and they heard the emotion and the connection involved and the way the words were said, it painted a completely different story because the defense was reading them very transactionally, which could seem like two co-workers for a lot of their conversations, but this was not the case. It's like how text messages can get so misconstrued. Because the way that you would say that and the way that you can interpret it when you're reading it is completely different. Yep. Oh, God, it's so scary. To this day, there is one issue with um, many pieces of evidence that they didn't allow into the trial and the initial round, I'll say. Yeah. And this was a test that was done with a boat that matched Scott's where they would throw approximately 150 pounds over the side of the boat. Right. This boat was a low-sided boat that would capsize on every trial. And if someone wasn't a skilled uh, 
like person out on the water or had another person with them, they likely actually wouldn't be able to recover from this on their own or get back into the boat, uh, given the situation and the water conditions and weather that day. My thing is like he specifically said he went to an island. So why couldn't he have just driven up to the island, beached it, dumped her, and then left? Yeah, I don't know how putting, like, someone on the island would make sense. Like, it might be too visible. Like, if someone was to be out boating, if it was that recognizable, they might be like, uh, there's a dead body on that beach. Not, like, on the beach, but, like, you could get close enough that you could, like, get out and stand in the water. I mean, I'm assuming either way, if we're assuming he dumped a dead body in the middle of the day, that there wasn't very many people around. Because we're also, all of this is... He went raining fishing. Yeah, I mean, this is all predicated on the fact that, like, it's broad daylight. Mm -hmm. And we do have people that saw him at the marina and out in his boat. Mm -hmm. So people did see him. Yeah. But this still wasn't done. And the person who was attempting this test said that they almost drowned twice. Yeah. <laughs> the tracking dogs that were brought out claimed that they lost Lacey's scent at the edge of the marina, which was used in court. Um, it wasn't brought out, though, that the dogs used for the tests were not qualified <laughs> tracking dogs. Aww. And I don't want to, like, education shame anyone. But this isn't, like, sit-stay work. This is pretty serious, guys. And I think that the puppy school dropouts should probably be used for something a little less serious than a homicide investigation. But that's just me. Puppy school dropouts. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. Again, it's just allowing another hole to be poked in your investigation and your Mm -hmm. case. Right? Like, all of these things are just, like... The, the defense team is just looking for anywhere they can punch a hole. And you're well, creating and them wide open. Like we mentioned earlier, like, we don't even know if Lacey actually knew that Scott had a boat. Yeah. I do have in it my notes. talked about with her mom, but, like, it was never confirmed that it was a thing. I did find in my notes the boat was purchased 15 days be- before Christmas Eve. 15 days. Who buys a boat in December? Well, they're in California. And then says it's a surprise for their stepdad, but then takes it out before Christmas themselves. Wait, what is the weather in Modesto, California right now? Because this is literally exactly like when it happened. Do you know what I mean, though? Like, you buy it 15 days before Christmas or Christmas Eve. You say that it was supposed to be a gift for your stepdad, and then you take it out fishing. Before Christmas. In shitty weather conditions. The night before. You're supposed to gift it to someone. It's weird. It's weird. it's 12 degrees and raining in Modesto. So I think it's pretty similar to here. And yeah, I probably wouldn't be going out fishing on Christmas Eve like that either. So, no. And they like asked him. He couldn't like confirm what type of fish he was fishing for. No. Look at all. He had like, they no. They were like, what were you fishing for? And he was like, just, I don't know, just seeing what I just could catch. Fish. Kind of answer. Just fair. It makes no sense. Uh. One expert did go on the stand and say that Connor could have technically died within one week of being out of the womb. Therefore, giving some validity to a kidnapping. Right scheme where she could have been picked up Christmas Eve, but Connor could have been removed from her body 
days after, if not up to a week after, and then also lived out of the womb and been, like you said, someone could have heard that Scott was being tracked to this place. They had already kidnapped Lacey and thought, well, let's just pin it on the husband mm-hmm. and follow up with that storyline and mm-hmm. support it. Yeah. But it was never verified and also it seems like the defense may have encouraged this expert to falsify some dates along the line with this storyline and the final image for the jurors as the prosecution gave its closing statements was the last year's christmas party photo which i'm sure we've all seen they put them side by side in one side scott and amber cuddled up looking blissfully unaware of the world around them in love as a new couple while next to it is a picture of Lacey sitting alone in a chair at a Christmas party with no spouse. Yep. It's a pretty powerful image. It is. And that was, I have like goosebumps right now because I can picture him like putting it up on that thing and there's, uh, and it just like, it breaks my heart every time I see it. And I know, like I've said, he is a terrible human. Yeah boyfriend husband whatever but like she just didn't deserve this no at the end of the day no he does (laughs) march 16th 2005 judge alfred a delucci or delucci formally sentenced scott peterson to death calling the murder of his wife cruel uncaring heartless and callous the defense did not request it or did request a new trial and that was immediately denied Scott was required to pay $10,000 in funeral costs to Lacey's family. And the following day, March 17th, Scott moved into Casa San Quentin, where Mm -hmm. he waited for death by lethal injection. And at this point, his case was automatically in a state of appeal, given that he was a death row penalty inmate. And his trial lawyers saw room for an appeal or... To find a chink in the system. Now, something I did find interesting was that he was charged or he was found guilty of first degree murder in Lacey's death and second degree murder in Connor's death. Yeah, because they feel like he died as a result of Lacey's body shutting down. The death of Connor maybe wasn't the intention and Connor was honestly a byproduct of But like first degree murder still implies planning and intent and deliberate like i don't know it's just weird like you (laughs) you know that your wife is pregnant with your son how did you intend to kill her but not him i don't know anyway we're not going to stick on that for too long maybe that's where we find a little bit of the leeway though where they say they can't rule out that connor may have been removed by c-section from a body and been disposed of separately yeah he also did have a cord around his neck and they say they can't for sure confirm that that was just from movement within the water that could have been on there prior to as well because keep in mind too being a baby like their skin is so soft and he's left in water i can only imagine that that would be a really difficult autopsy just because i don't think the condition of like such delicate skin Mm -hmm. would actually be very helpful in the process of an autopsy at that point right okay so um what one other thing i was just going to mention quickly is like that there was like some weird phenomenon things around this case just Mm -hmm. like that there was like another pregnant woman that almost got Mm -hmm. abducted that day 
like two other women were outside stores just waiting and felt that there was men watching them. And like the and burglary. Lacey ended up being missing later. Yeah. So she ended up going missing like essentially later that day. Like, it was the same day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there was the burglary yeah. that was like across the street from their house. Um, and Which, one of, yeah. to this day, I still have questions about because why was the media not like, holy shit, there's someone breaking into that house? Mm-hmm. Because they said there was also a break in the next day. Well, yeah. And then so her, their neighbor um, saw like three men in a van sitting outside one of the homes that got robbed at like 11 a.m. near the park where Lacey said she was going for a walk. And this lady yeah. said she only noticed because one of the men, like, looked at her weird and it made her feel really uncomfortable. So the theory was that maybe Lacey confronted the, the burglary. Um, yeah, like they were saying that when she was walking, she might have kind of run into these, like, mm-hmm. burglars and been like, hey. Yeah. And in that case, because she wasn't far from the home, maybe she dropped Mackenzie's leash. Mackenzie spooked, ran back to the house. Although, I highly doubt that a golden retriever would leave its pregnant owner in a distressed situation. I We know some golden retrievers. You know yeah, golden retrievers. I Very agree. closely. Um, I and don't think that... No, I totally agree with you. And, like, investigators actually did catch those guys. And they immediately said, like, that they had nothing to do with Lacey's disappearance. They were like, oh, that's not ours. We want nothing to do with that. Didn't take the pregnant girl. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, historically, like, pregnant people are quite protected by criminals. So, it's actually rare that somebody, like, doing a burglary would kidnap and yeah, harm a pregnant woman. It's just not really in, like... Yeah, I agree. Right? It's just not really unless in, like, the criminal to, like, handbook. baby nap. Yeah, unless you're burglaring babies from people's bodies you don't think of pregnant women as a target no not usually it's not typical it's not typical no um Um, and also between like 99 and 2002 there was like a ton of pregnant women that went missing and by a ton i mean like seven or eight but it's like within a hundred mile radius seven or eight pregnant women went missing yeah it's still seen in a couple years so it's quite a bit yeah so scott sent a death row at san quentin Mm-hmm. And uh, Lacey's parents actually civilly sued Scott for the her $250,000 life insurance policy, as well as uh, they civilly sued him for wrongful death. On October 21st, 2005, a judge in the civil suit uh, ruled that proceeds from the life insurance policy would go to Lacey's mother. And then in April 2009, Lacey's parents dropped the wrongful death suit against him. March 13th, 2009, Governor Gavin Newsom signed an executive order issuing a moratorium on executions of death row inmates in California prisons, which would include Scott Peterson. A moratorium is essentially just a temporary prohibition of an activity. So the moratorium will only be... So you're temporarily commuted to your life sentence. It'll only be in effect as long as Gavin Newsom is the governor of California. Mm -hmm. So as soon as somebody replaces him, that's gone essentially. Um, But it does mean for the time being that Scott has a stay of execution. Uh, California has actually not executed anyone since 2006. Good on them. I don't think we need to kill people because we don't have people with... We don't have smart enough people in charge 
for that to be a process that can work properly, I feel. Yeah, I'm reading a really interesting book. It's called, I think I actually mentioned it the last time we recorded. It's called Talking to Strangers. And it has a really good insight into, like, how easy it is for us to wrongfully convict someone. And so as much as we believe that, like, people should act a certain way or they should say certain things, like, people just don't always behave how we assume they're going to behave. Yeah. Anyway. August 24th, 2020, the California Supreme Court overturned Scott's death sentence. The court determined that the death penalty could not stand because during the original jury selection, potential jurors had been improperly dismissed from the jury pool after saying they personally disagreed with the death penalty, but would be willing to follow the law and impose it. So these people are like, yes, I agree with the death penalty, or sorry, no, I don't agree with it, but I would be willing to follow the law and impose it if necessary. And they were like, yeah, no, sorry, you can't be a part of it. Which is, like, very unfair in terms of sentencing. Yes. The case ended up being sent to lower court to determine what the new sentence would be. In late October 2020, at an appearance via live stream in Stanislaus Superior Court, District Attorney Bridget Fladegar announced that her prosecutors did not intend to reseek the death penalty after a discussion with Lacey's family. Bridget rose to fame in the legal world as one of the three prosecutors in Scott's original trial. The court would not overturn the conviction stating that, uh, like the actual uh, guilty conviction, stating that Scott was convicted based on considerable circumstantial evidence. There was, of course, Lacey's body that washed ashore where Scott had been fishing that day. Um, The body was found like within view of the exact location that he said he was at. Uh, There was search history found as well on his computer that showed he researched bay currents. Um, the fact that he literally just bought a fishing boat 15 days before this happened, there was just a lot of circumstantial evidence. And so the court wouldn't turn over the conviction, but did overturn the sentence. Recently, this month, December 8th, 2021, a decision was made in the resentencing hearing and Scott was resentenced to life without the possibility of parole by Judge Anne Christine Masulo. At the hearing, Lacey's mother spoke directly at Scott saying... Your, your evil, self-centered, unforgivable, selfish act ended two beautiful souls for no reason other than you didn't want them anymore. Lacey's siblings also spoke about their grief without having her for 19 years and never getting to see Connor grow up. So it was 19 years that she went missing as of Christmas Eve of this year. Scott requested to speak at the resentencing hearing, but the request was denied by the judge as the sentence was <laughs> preordained, which means it was actually already decided beforehand. Um, the only real reason that you would allow a defendant to testify at a sentencing hearing would be to plead their case. So with a decision already made, there's just no reason to hear him speak. So she was like, yeah, yeah sorry, yeah, no. need to hear from you. But Scott has actually never spoken out publicly about Lacey or Connor's death since he was sentenced in November of 2004. Never spoken about it. I just don't think he has anything good to add to it at this point. No. (laughs) The more he talks, the worse it gets for him. Scott's defense team filed 19 claims in a petition for habeas corpus in 2015. The literal Latin translation of the term habeas corpus is, quote, you should have the body. So in law, this means the judge or court should and must 
of any person who is detained brought forward so that the legality of that person's detention can be assessed. In United States law, habeas corpus ad subjectionum. Is that how you say it? Subjectionum? I think that's how you say it. Um, this is the full name of what sure. habeas corpus actually refers to. Is also called the Great Writ. So this is in the U.S. It's not about a person's guilt or innocence, but it's about whether custody of that person is lawful under the U.S. Constitution. Common grounds for relief under habeas corpus. Uh, relief in this case is being released from custody include a conviction based on illegally obtained evidence a denial of effective assistance of counsel or a conviction by a jury that was improperly selected and impaneled in canada habeas corpus is covered under section 10c of the canadian charter of rights and freedoms which reads everyone has the right on arrest or detention to have the validity of the detention determined by way of habeas corpus and to be released if the detention is not lawful. On October 14, 2020, the California Supreme Court ordered San Mateo County Superior Court to re-examine Scott's murder conviction on the grounds that one of the jurors did not disclose her involvement in other legal proceedings, including but not limited to being the victim of a crime. The court dismissed all other 19 claims of habeas corpus, claiming them to be moot. <laughs> a moo point. You know, like a cow's opinion? It it's doesn't a matter. Point. <laughs> Oddly enough, I, that makes sense. Literally <laughs> my favorite friend's line ever. One of the best. Yeah, I yeah, consistently use moo point, even though I know it's moot. <laughs> when Rachel's like, I know that's wrong. But it makes sense. She's like, have I just been hanging out with him for too long? Or does that make complete sense? (laughs) (laughs) So the court agreed to the count that juror seven, whose uh, name is Rochelle Nice or Nice, filed a restraining order in October of 2000 while four months pregnant against a woman saying she was in fear of her unborn child and failed to disclose this on her voir dire questionnaire when she was being chosen for the jury selection. She also failed to disclose that her boyfriend beat her in 2001 while she was pregnant and this was the same boyfriend whose ex-girlfriend she filed the restraining order against the year prior. So, from when she got attacked and after Lacey goes missing, she has two incidents, both of which could make her unbiased to this case. And she didn't disclose them on her questionnaire when she was selected for a jury selection prior to this whole thing with Lacey, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry, I meant that she couldn't be unbiased. Yeah, it would definitely... Yeah. Yeah. I'll go into that a little bit more, but... so many... Like moral the situation itself is directly related to the yeah. case at hand. So juror seven answered no to the question of if she had ever been a victim of a crime or filed a lawsuit, uh, which, as we know, knowing now what girl, it was like six months before. Yeah, would be obviously incorrect. Prosecutors say Rochelle did not understand that a restraining order is a type of lawsuit, and they also claim that her declaration described the domestic violence incident as a heated argument. She said it was her then-boyfriend, not her, who called the police, therefore she didn't consider herself a victim. Scott's you were an active participant. Yeah. It's okay. like... Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott's defense team's main argument is that even if the answers no were intentional, like by accident, if she didn't understand the question that was being asked, 
Had she answered the questions correctly, which means yes, she would have not been selected to be on the jury. So, like, even if you weren't lying, had you answered the way you were supposed to, if you had been like, hey, I don't understand the question, can you help me? You wouldn't have been allowed yeah, to be on the jury. they would have explained it, yeah. reworded it. She would have answered, yeah, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The defense team argues that the nature of the crimes she was a victim of are directly to related to what Scott was being accused of. Therefore, her personal experience could prejudice her from being able to be impartial, which exactly she is Fair. unable yeah. to be unbiased, potentially. Lawyers for Juror 7 say Scott's defense team is grasping at straws. They say that it was actually lead defense attorney Mark Garagos who pushed for Juror 7 to be selected. He believed that she would be a liberal decision maker because of her physical appearance. Um, she has, like, really bright red hair and is very, like... You look up pictures of her, you'll see what I mean. She a little, like, va-va-boomy? She's got a little bit of, like, va-va-boom... Like, you... He basically thought okay. that she would be a liberal decision maker because of what she looked like. And her lawyer, Elliot Silver, was quoted saying, never judge a book by its cover. Yeah. So a hearing to determine if a reject. So basically, they have to do a hearing of evidence to determine if a retrial will be granted based on yeah. this juror providing false information. So this hearing, is there enough to support that it had a big enough impact yeah. that it could have changed the outcome or at least sentence of blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. A hearing to determine if a retrial will be granted is uh, scheduled for February 25th, 2022 to March 4th, 2022. Judge Anne Christine Masulo will have 90 days from the trial's conclusion in March to make a decision about whether a new trial will be granted for Scott or not. It was reported that Judge Masulo opted to hold the resentencing hearing first. So she actually chose to do the resentencing first because Scott had been incarcerated on death row and she determined that it was legally impermissible to keep him there once it was determined that prosecutors would not be reseeking the death penalty. Mm -hmm. So once it was like, we're overturning this sentence and prosecutors aren't going back for it, we cannot keep you there. We have to do the resentence. Yeah, you don't qualify as a death row inmate yeah. anymore, so we can't legally house you there and have you in that position. Exactly. No, I think that makes sense. Even if he's a piece of shit, that makes sense. Yeah. That's just organization, people. <laughs> yeah. The defense says if a new trial is granted, they're going to present new evidence suggesting Lacey's death um, is tied to the burglary, burglary that happened on the same day near Scott and Lacey's house near the park. Um... The police have previously stated that they interviewed the men involved and ruled them out as a suspect in Lacey's disappearance, but, I mean, hey, anything the defense can use, that's their job. The defense yep. also says that claims Scott shows no remorse are unfair considering he maintains his innocence. Like, it's not fair to say he's not remorseful because he's innocent. So he has nothing to be remorseful <laughs> So because for. he says he didn't, yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah. Because he didn't do it, he has nothing to be remorseful for. They're saying, like, that's not even fair to cons like to say that he should be showing remorse because he's innocent. Yeah. So a little bit about I what happened. Um, <laughs> just because I was interested in, like, learning a little bit about the U.S. court system. So I'm going to learn you all, too. If a new trial oh. is not granted... The defense team can bring a new habeas corpus petition to the state court of appeals 
and then to the state Supreme Court on the single juror misconduct claim. So they can only bring it to higher state level court on the single juror misconduct claim because the state has already dismissed all other 18 claims of habeas corpus. Assuming that they lose... Oh, so they can only work on the one valid claims to... Okay. Correct. Makes sense. So assuming that they lose at every level of the state, this process could take years, they would then have the option to take all original 19 habeas corpus claims to federal court. Um, So among the juror misconduct claim, they had listed ineffective defense counsel, doubts about some expert testimony, aspects of the investigation were brought into question, such as, like you were saying, the... uh, the dogs that failed their training. When there was, like, falsified dates, the boat yeah. training or testing. Like, there was so much additional testing that went into this case that was never even talked about. Yeah. So the federal habeas corpus would start at the U.S. Northern District, and if lost at that level, the defense team could then appeal to the U.S. Ninth Circuit Courts of Appeal, and finally, they could file for a review by the U.S. Supreme Court. There is a super low likelihood that the U.S. Supreme Court would even grant review as they only see 80 to 85 of the 5,000 to 7,000 requests they receive every year. Jeez. Yeah. So that's like... Nothing. I don't even know. A really small percentage. (laughs) <laughs> I love that you were like, hold on. The math didn't work. Okay, never mind. My calculator fumbled on me and I just don't have the time for it right now. Fair. So no, no one does. Now in the in the event that they win and a new trial is granted, the Stanislaw County DA's office has appeal options that it can pursue before going into a new trial. If the relief is granted, the state has the option to take the course through higher levels of the state systems and possibly seek review in the U.S. Supreme Court. The state does not have the option to take the case into lower federal courts, um, and whether it can seek review by the U.S. Supreme Court depends on if Judge Masulo's decision is based on state or federal law. If it's based on state law, the federal courts would have no jurisdiction. This also could take years. So, like, we could be seeing this case in 10 years from now if this keeps going. If the DA decides not to appeal the decision, new charges would have to be filed and the case would either be settled or retried. If they settle this case, I'm going to be so annoyed. I doubt that they would ever settle I mean, I'm going to be annoyed if they retry it. Well, it's like they shouldn't approve Like, uh, they shouldn't have approved it. The only chance that they would settle it would be if Scott agreed to a plea deal and it would be to spare Lacey's family another trial. That's the only way that they would settle it. But I just, like, I think we all know that Scott's not going to He's never going to take a plea deal, so it will go to a retrial if that's granted. He's kept his innocence for, what, this happened in 2002? Like, fuck. 19 he, years. No, 19 years. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were just talking about this. He's not, I just don't think he's going to just, like, give it up after 19 years. Mm-hmm. I think he's just... He truly believes in his head that, like, he's convinced himself he's innocent at this point. He's like, I just got to hold strong. I just got to keep this story. Yeah. After Scott was resentenced to life in prison, Judge Masulo ordered that he be transferred from San Mateo County Jail back to San Quentin State Prison within 10 days following the evidentiary hearing in February and March. So currently he's actually being held in, in the San Mateo County Jail. Oh, okay. 
So he will... I within, don't think he's like a high-risk guy. That's the thing. Within 10 days following the evidentiary hearing in February and March, he'll be transferred back to San Quentin, but he will no longer be housed on death row, and he could end up being transferred to a different institution altogether. If the judge yeah. ends up overturning his conviction and ordering a new trial, Scott will be brought back once again from San Quentin to San Mateo County, where he may have the opportunity to seek bail, though it's unlikely given that the case is a former death penalty case. Like, it's pretty unlikely mm-hmm. that they would um, yeah. grant someone bail who was currently on death row. Juror Seven's attorney has said she will exercise her Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination if she is not granted immunity to criminal charges, though the courts have not indicated any intention of granting her immunity. Because, like, admitting... Because going to trial for that, admitting... Going on stand could potentially incriminate her to, like, perjury charges. Right? 100%. So she's yeah. basically saying, like... I will exercise my Fifth Amendment rights and say jack shit unless you grant me immunity to criminal charges. Yeah, and I, a lot of people do that down the line. Yeah. Like, it really can backfire. Yeah. Amber Fry also has stated that if a new trial is granted, she will testify against Scott again in court. Of course she will. Yeah. That's it for me, though. That's kind of where we're at right now. The death sentence was overturned. He's being housed in county jail. We're waiting for this evidentiary hearing. We'll know more in February and March. The judge, like I said, has 90 days from the evidentiary hearing to make a decision about whether a new trial is going to be granted or not and whether we're going to... I mean, either way, I just, you know, I just laid it out. There's a long list of things that can happen either way, so... It's a lot of possibilities still. Yeah, Yeah, it's... It's far from over, which is crazy that it's we're going on to the 20th year of this, yeah. essentially. And there's still so much time and money poured into this person because they are too shitty to just own up to what they've done and give the family the peace of mind needed. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, my opinion is that I just think that the other theories are pretty outlandish, like... Yeah. I think it's a little ridiculous to say that she was, like, taken in broad daylight in the middle of, like, a park where people were, like, obviously saying that they saw people. I don't know. It's a bit much. Yeah, but but... if we take out those, like, witness accounts, because we now know that there was another woman that looked kind of like Lacey in the area with a dog that was pregnant, and... There's still a ton of it that makes no sense. But we still, but then we have to kind of assume that potentially none of those were accurate. Maybe right. they all saw the other woman. So Lacey never left the house that morning. I was going to say, exactly. Day. They saw someone, though. They didn't see anybody getting abducted. Yeah, they just saw a woman out walking her dog, and she just happened to be pregnant. Yeah. I know I don't make these kind of statements usually, but, like, I think he's guilty. <laughs> you asked me to vote yes or no. My answer is yes. That's just how I feel. Um. I think there's just yeah, too much. Yeah, even as the first time we recorded this, like, I I wasn't comfortable saying, like, I didn't think he didn't do it. I just don't think he got a fair trial. Yeah, I will agree with that. The we laid out the reasons why. Yeah. Yeah, and I stand by that, and I, I, that's the only reason why, yes, I'm annoyed that the money is still going into this guy, but it's the only reason why I still agree with the fact that he's getting another trial and that appeals are being done. However, I do think it should end with his death sentence being overturned. Mm-hmm. I think the circumstantial evidence was enough that they should still be able to withhold the conviction without needing to give a new trial based right. on appeals. Right. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. 
Yeah, like how much did one juror that like, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. It is part of the process and everybody deserves the right to a fair trial in every aspect. So we're going to have to just see how it goes. True. No matter how shitty you are, you deserve a fair trial. That's the law. As a human being, you're entitled to that. Mm -hmm. So. Well. But again, thank you for being with us for a whole year. So crazy. And listening to our second round <laughs> at Miss Lady Lacey Peterson's case. Hopefully we did it and... a lot more justice this time. But yeah, it's been phenomenal to be here for a year with everyone and can't wait for another one. Yeah, I mean, like, share, review, anything you can do helps us and we appreciate it. And we really want to just go into 2022 with some big goals yeah. and some fun stuff in mind. So any extra support also gives us just the fuel as well to want to do that. Yeah. So it comes full circle. And we are just so proud of ourselves. So grateful. Way, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hi, friends. If you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live Q&A sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today.